Moncrief on News Talk. Time for Tell Me Now Why with Graham Finley. If you have a question for Graham, uh, you can send it in as ever into afternoon at newstalk.com. Today's question is Do we see colours differently and how do I know if I'm colourblind? Graham joins us now in News Talk. Afternoon, Graham. Afternoon. Uh, I suppose, well, let's start with the colour blindness uh, issue. Is there a way of testing for colour blindness and how do they do that? Absolutely. So color blindness is largely inherited on, on, the, on the X chromosome. So uh, many more uh, men than women are colorblind. Uh, and uh, it's, um, it's, so you, can test, you can test people genetically, but more easily you can test them by, by giving them a couple pictures to look at. The, the one I really like is the Ishihara test, where you've got a whole bunch of dots in a, in a circle, which are you know, green and maybe gray and, and red. And if you're, you know, red, uh, green, colorblind, you're not going to be able to see the number picked out in red dots in the, in the circle. Where, so, so that's 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 pretty easy. And then sometimes they just have people um, identify the colors of, of pencils in a pencil case of of, of colored pencils or a, a series of colored squares. Um, so, so they have pretty good tests for this kind of thing. And a lot of people are colorblind. I mean, um, so something like uh, one in twelve men are colorblind. One in two hundred women. Uh, women have a completely different relationship to color than men, which is, is one of the interesting things about this. But, uh, you know, and one of the reasons, I mean, so this quickly, however, leads to the sort of philosophical question, which I think is, is in there, which is, you know, how do we know that given that all of us are just perceiving our own subjective colors? Um, and so maybe we all agree that there's the number nine picked out in red dots in this test. But, you know, that you know, other people might perceive it completely differently, and then that's just our own subjective perception. We just have to happen to converge on this particular kind of thing, mm, you know, to but, say but, that's red, yes. you know, uh, and and and, uh, and and you can't see it, so therefore you're 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 colorblind, right? Uh, but, but in the so, case of the colorblind person, though, Graham, there is something genetic that can be detected. That, that, yeah, uh, so, uh, so it's something. Yeah, no, we're in a really uneasy sort of space in that there's really objective sort of facts here, like, you know, genetics and um, things we can put, take down to, to lab experiments. When we think about colors, you know, we think about hue, brilliance, saturation. These are aspects of color which can be quantified, right? And in fact, if you go to the paint store, the computer will mix you any one of millions and millions of colors just by working with these particular things. So it looks like color is a really objective thing. Right. Mm. But, well, are they though? Uh, because say if you're if you're watching a football match or a rugby match and everybody has their own view of what a particular color is, it, it, it would make that impossible to follow. Yeah, well, exactly, and um, well, it's true. So we agree about certain kinds of things, and and there's sort of a rough and ready thing. But I think it's important that we notice just how much of our common agreement is is is, is part of this. Uh, so um, you know, I'm I'm going to bring it up now. I'm going to bring up the dress. Yes, which people yeah. of uh, internet meme fame mm. of, of a few years back, which actually was a really fascinating scientific phenomenon where some people saw it as black and blue and the other one saw it as white and gold. And um, I don't want to drag us all back there, except that, you know, color scientists are having whole special issues devoted to it. So it's a, it's a real thing. Um, and this brings us back to colorblindness. You know, we, for the most part, collectively agree about stuff, but then suddenly along comes something like the dress, which confounds that, which where, where people have quite clear views about what it looks like, and it divides people. Um, I mean, uh, the similar aspect of this is 40% of people leave post-primary school 
who are color, 40% of people who are colorblind leave post-primary school unaware that they're colorblind, right? So they haven't come across any significant disagreements with other people or, or problems in their life, uh, like running green lights or red lights or something <laughs> like that, you know, which have caused them to, to pay any attention to this. They just have a washed out view of color. Or they, you know, they, they don't really perceive the differences between certain colors. So there's an, an awful lot more going on there. Uh, and, you know, different cultures really do perceive colors quite differently. Uh, so, for example, uh, the Greeks, maybe unsurprisingly, have a distinction between dark blue and, and light blue, which, make, which, which they view, you know, speaking Greek, as, as different colors. But if you take a Greek speaker and bring them to the UK, where people tend to only speak about blue as, a, as one color, um, they are much more likely to see those two shades of blue, as we say here, right, in, in, in English-speaking countries, not in the UK. We're not in the UK, I know. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, we see that as one shade of blue, right? And they will increasingly see it as one shade of blue, stimulated by their interaction with a whole lot of people who don't make these distinctions between shades of blue as separate colors. There are some languages which only have two words for color, dark and light, which means basically cool and warm colors, um, so different ends of the color spectrum. So the actual subjective perception of color is a cultural phenomenon. It's also a physical phenomenon, and it may be related to quite primitive aspects of our, of our biology. So I can't believe they did this to the poor monkeys, but they, you know, squirrel monkeys can only perceive blue and green. Um, and or blue and yellow, sorry. And they can, um, you know, so they, they took the, the monkeys and they injected a dye into their eye. Don't try oh. this at home. And um, so they, uh, which infected them with a virus, you know, it gets better, such that the cones in their eyes started to be capable of perceiving red. Some of the cones switched to being able to perceive red. And so suddenly these monkeys, and they'd been making them do the Ishihara test, and they just saw gray dots. They couldn't see any red dots in the, in the, in the circle suddenly these monkeys could see red and they could pick out red dots in, in, in an Ishihara test. So they tried to figure out, well, what are the monkeys doing? Like, is this blowing their little monkey minds? And, you know, uh, how are they reacting to these new colors they're seeing? Uh, and it turns out that they adapted pretty well and they, you know, they were able to pick out red objects and so forth, but it didn't really change their relationship to it. And one reason people think that is, is that beyond cones, which we use for most of our color perception and, and what we're kind of talking about now, we also have another way of perceiving color, uh, melanopsin, which is vastly older than having cones at all. It's about a billion years older in our evolution than having cones at all. Um, and it senses the, the sort of wavelengths of light, whether it's yellow light or blue light. Um, and even bacteria who don't have eyes, I think it's important to point out, react differently to yellow light and blue light um, and are more active when there's yellow light sort of at the beginning and the end of the day as opposed to in the middle of the day. So they engage in more photosynthesis at that period under yellow light. The monkeys had basically the same reactions to light, which they were now perceiving as red, as they did when they couldn't really perceive it um, as, as a very colorful light at all, light which is being um, scattered into right. their eyes. And, and so, so, you know, that particular um, response may be much more primitive uh, in our evolution than, than we think. And so people actually, people who are colorblind actually react pretty much the same way to blue light and yellow light as people who have um, quote-unquote normal working vision.
Uh, now, the, the uh, in your other way, you can. Uh, so, if on one end of the scale you can be color blind, is there another end of the scale where you can be, if you like, the visual equivalent of a super taster? Absolutely, and like super tasting, it tends to be women. In fact, it's exclusively women, as far as we know. Remember, our color perception is inherited on the X chromosome. Women have two X chromosomes, uh, so they can, and in some cases, cases have receive two subtle differences in, in their genes such that they have subtle differences in their color perception. These people are called tetrachromats, and that means they have basically four types of color sensitivity in their eyes as opposed to the three that we do, or we non-tetrachromats mm. do. Um, and they um, have quite astonishing powers. People are only sort of starting to realize this. I mean, it could be up to 12% of women, uh, but they perceive colors which most people don't. Um, they, they see all kinds of different hues um, and reds and so forth um, in, in, on things where most people would not be able to see them at all. One woman's an artist and her, her students just can't, you know, are just being polite and saying they see the colors. But her art is full of colors um, and they, you know, and they take pictures of the originals um, and uh, which are which nobody else can really see. Uh, and and it's, it's really quite fascinating. She also is really good at, at perceiving uh, colors in dim light, so in, in the early morning or, or late at night, when everything else has been grayed out for the rest of us. Accordingly, they've subjected her to endless scientific experimentation, but uh, she seems to like it, so it's okay. And so these super seers are like super tasters, uh, you know, really capable of seeing other things. And it makes people think that perhaps by encouraging these mutations, um, we could actually improve our, our um, sight into other parts of the spectrum, uh, light spectrum, which we can't currently see because, you know, some birds can see ultraviolet rays and things like that. And so maybe we could make our, you know, the human race all capable of seeing the kind of things pigeons can see or goldfinches can see. Um, and not along, not, not even these shrimp who can see all sorts of crazy colors, which, which we really can't see, like the radio waves, I think they can see. Uh, and, so, and so to, 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 to finish up on the philosophical point, do we really know, Graham, if we're all seeing the same thing anyway? Well, we have a pretty good idea, and all the scientists who are doing all this experimentation on artists and things like that think we really probably don't see things exactly the same way, and the, and the dress really brought that out. Older people tended to see it as white and gold, right? Um, people see it as in different, as different colors under different light uh, and so forth. So we probably don't see things the same way because all of us will have inherited a slightly different set of sensitivity in our genes. So um, that in a way, is like a scientific support, um, although coming from a very different place than the philosophers did, for this belief that color really isn't in the objects and that it is really largely a subjective perception. That doesn't mean that there's not something really in the objects which um, has some relationship to the color, but the philosophers have fought over whether the color is produced by the objects in our perception, so we're perceiving whatever it is in the object which produces the color. The color is simply... Uh, a subjective perception has no relationship to the object, or the um, the, the color is uh, an attribute which is created in our subjective perceptions by the object, which might not be in the kind of linear, you know, one-to-one uh, -one uh, relationship, which um, I think we probably sort of, even if we studied a lot of philosophy, naively think is going on. And that's why the dress is great as well. If I look at a red shirt, it's really hard for me not to think that the the red color is in the shirt, right? Yeah, but rather I, than you know, I look it's around on at brain. the sky, I, I know the sky is not blue. It's not like there's a big 
blue gas up there, which if I went up there, you know, would, would be blue and I could take some home in a bag, right? So, so I think, you know, even our sort of folk psychology of color um, is more sophisticated than I think the philosophers have often assumed, so that we're all naively going around thinking that, you know, the atoms of, of the leaf are green or something like that. So the scientists have in some ways sort of given us a basis by which we can, you know, uh, grow accustomed to and understand what we're doing with uh, our everyday perceptions of colors and what's going on in these philosophical debates. At the same time, the social scientists are as well, because our actual relationship to color and our description of it is something we've established by convention. Graham, thanks a million for uh, speaking with us today. Uh, Graham Findlay there. Moncrief on News Talk.